Welcome to episode 83 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Randy Hunt. This was actually kind of a pseudo-ish live episode. It was live in front of his team. Yeah, we uh, met up with Randy at the Etsy offices in New York City. Where he's the VP of design. Where he's the VP of design. And we had a chat with him in front of the Etsy design team. It was a lot of fun. Uh, one of our first few live episodes, and uh, we hope it went well. We hope you enjoyed listening. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you guys know that we do have other podcasts on our network. So if you want to hear more podcasts like this, go to spec.fm. We have four other podcasts, all for designers and developers, uh, ranging from 10-minute episodes to hour-long episodes like this one. So once again, to check those out, go to spec.fm. And before we get into the show with Randy wanted to take a minute to thank our two sponsors that made this episode possible. Huge thank you once again to Wayno. Wayno is a full-service digital design agency working out of San Francisco and recently opening an office in New York. They are a world-class agency cranking out design work for companies like Airbnb, Medium. They just launched a new Reuters app. Uh, and of course, they work with Dropbox, who also sponsors this show. They are sponsoring this podcast because they listen to it, they enjoy it, and they just want everyone else that listens to it to know that they exist. Uh, you should go to wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O.co. Check out some of their work. Truly, truly inspiring design work for some of the world's best companies. And they're also hiring. The last designer they hired was a listener as well. So if you're looking for a job or your next opportunity, go to wayno.co, click the careers link in the header, and tell them that we sent you. Huge thanks once again to Wayno for sponsoring this episode, and we really appreciate your support. Our second sponsor, as always, is Dropbox. Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want, on whatever you want, with whoever you want, wherever you want. You can use it throughout your entire design process, from sketching to coding to prototyping to actually building the thing, writing about it, writing your specs, all that stuff. It works for any kind of file, so you're free to choose whatever tools you want for whatever part of the process you're working on, and it'll just back everything up for you. And then when you're ready for feedback, you can send large files to anyone super fast. You just upload it once, send them a link, and they can preview it in the browser. Leave their feedback right there in line. It's a really seamless experience. That way, the conversations all live in one spot, right alongside the work itself. So Dropbox gives you the freedom to work on anything from anywhere with anyone you choose, and you can get started at dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get into episode 83 with Randy Hunt. I'm Randy Hunt, and I'm the Vice President of Design here at Etsy. Awesome. Among other things. Among other things, like what? I don't know. Husband, dog owner. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it, actually. That pretty much right. encompasses it, it up. <laughs> my life experience. Yeah. So what kind of stuff are you working on right now? Uh, goodness. Um, I'm getting right into the, the nitty-gritty parts. That's where we start. Uh, really, the thing occupying most of my sort of time and mind space right now is... Um, resource planning and prioritizing for next year's work that sounds really exciting it, it looks like you're being sarcastic <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah um it is actually I, I like it okay yeah so designing more the team than like obviously at this point you're probably not getting into the pixels as much um that that is definitely <laughs> true yeah sitting uh, in meetings with your dog yeah yeah sounds like fun lots of meetings with my dog actually <laughs> not i mean not meeting with like not conversing <laughs> with the dog, not a dog centric meeting. Uh, um, I'm yeah. curious how you plan uh, a year out in advance. Now that the design team's growing, how do you 
think about not only what you're going to build, but like how you communicate that and plan it with everyone on the team. Hmm. Great question. Not sure. No, <laughs> no idea. I, I think there's a part of it that really is not sure because uh, the circumstances are different now than maybe the last time we did this. You know, if you rewind 12 months and have like a, a previous planning cycle that looks something like we're doing now, um, the team was smaller, the company was smaller, there were some different people in different leadership roles around the organization and things like that. So the whole sort of ecosystem is a bit different. And uh, even though we're like a 10 and a half, almost 11 year old like business, uh, I would say we really got our feet under us to do planning like this within the last uh, you know few years. So there's not like a big track, there's not a big track record or like a lot of muscle memory around how this works. We're kind of inventing it each time. Yeah, let's let's go back to when you started because you started. Uh, First the, question: What was it like being on the greatest game show of all time? Oh man, <laughs> way back. This has to come. All right. Well, um, I pretty much sucked. I was a. Uh, I didn't Everyone make it past the first round. Le- Legends of the Hidden Temple. I was on the Green Monkeys. I actually got no paired. blue barracudas for you. Uh, no, I wish I was on the silver snakes, which is definitely the coolest one. But you know, you don't get to pick. Uh, they just throw you, a, throw you a t-shirt and push you in a room with you know forty-five other kids, where they shoot, I think, an entire season of that show in like two days. Seriously? Yeah, they were hyper efficient. There's actually some good like operational efficiency lessons, probably, in how they shoot. <laughs> It's very like Kenban or lessons like, of the hidden know, temple, Toyota style. Uh, yeah, lessons of the hidden temple. If you remember, this show has sort of three segments. I think there's a like everybody gets across the moat. Well, almost everybody, uh, and then they move on to the next round. You do some quiz show questions or something like that, and then maybe there's some other challenge or you go through like the temple at the end. And they had queued up the entire season worth of get across the moat. So they've got their like two or three cameras set up and there's like all these kids trying to get across the boat. And as soon as the kids are across the boat, they're like, they like cleaned up really quick. And there's like another group of kids already set up in the costume. So they're just like running it through like a kid's game show factory. That's kind of what Nickelodeon was back then. Yeah. How do you get on a game show as a kid? Um, your mother sees an ad in the newspaper and drives oh, you there after school. No portfolio review then. Yeah, no, none whatsoever. <laughs> you did have to take a quiz. I remember there was a multiple choice test, which I don't think there was testing like your, you know, intelligence or, uh, you know, your knowledge of trivia. I think it was literally like, can you answer questions? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is so funny to think about. It's like, are you capable can of Can like, you talk? Yeah, like, do you get the format? Um and then you had to like you know do some shuttle run or climb some ropes course it was like very basic like are you capable of moving around and answering questions it's a good start for a game show <laughs> i'm realizing now that's okay it's so a low barrier yeah, uh-huh yeah. that's how you get 100 kids Silver standing standing probably yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. let's talk about etsy all right yeah you started uh almost six years ago yeah that's right you came into an existing company yep with users and resources Yep. But no design team. Not at the moment. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I think that that was part of the appeal or the oppor- opportunity was that it was bigger than what I'd been working on before in terms of the audience. So that was uh, kind of invigorating in a way. And because there was really no established design team or process at the time, even though there had been designers at points in the past, um, it felt like we could sort of do what we wanted. And that, I, I guess the better way to phrase it is do what we thought would be best. It wasn't just like, oh, let's do whatever we want, but there is like a blank slate to kind of work 
Right. So how, how did you approach that? Because I imagine there's, well, there is a lot of responsibility on early designers to set the, the pace, the workflow, the tone, how you hire, things like that. So how, how did you approach it uh, in terms of not only thinking about like designing the thing, but also setting uh, the design culture tone, the, the hiring tone, things like that? Mm. The, I mean, the earliest days of actually the, the process looked, they'd probably look pretty unhealthy by like today's standards. They looked an awful lot like the CEO creates a mock-up and, and then is like, we should make this. Um, which if uh, that's not the best way to run a company, yeah. <laughs> I think, it, um, well, certainly, you know, at a certain like size or scale, that's insane. Even then it probably was borderline insane, but it had a, um, there was a crispness to that because the, uh, there's like a clarity in the intent. Um, and I think the working relationship we had, I'd say myself as well as Jay Carlson, who's like the other, um, early designer who really started at the same time. We had a working relationship with Etsy CEO at the time that worked out really well, considering that that was the circumstances. Was it very frustrating at the time? No. Yeah. Frustrating would be when things like changed quickly. Like you invest a bunch of time or energy and then like attention was elsewhere. Like, let's do this other thing instead. Like that could be frustrating. Um, but the actual process of working through like what those ideas were into realizing the product was actually pretty awesome. It was fairly quick and also it wasn't um, as prescriptive as that process sounds. The nature of our working relationship allowed us to evolve it a lot. So those, those things were really like the starting place. And we, yeah, we definitely had the opportunity to take them from often quite good like initial ideas, but that left out many of the details and constraints that would like you would need to resolve in order for them to be like a real product to actually addressing those things and changing it along the way. And then sometimes you just like pick your battles and be like, yeah, let's just, sure. We'll just build that picture. You, you know, showed us that was sort of how things worked in the earliest moments, but it became apparent very quickly that you can't work that way and have a bigger team. Like it was so dependent on that, like working relationship and literally like sitting at the desk together, you know, it's like, oh, there's three people pushing this thing. You save that file on the server? Like, let me grab that one. You know, it was very, it was so close. And that just doesn't work if you have, if you want to accomplish more things and involve more people. You have to, like, have some other. So what happened next? Like, how did you start to move outside of that working relationship? And now you're building a team. Was there an inflection point that made you decide you needed a team, like, at that moment? Or was it very gradual? Mm. No and no. I would say there wasn't any inflection point because it just seemed very, uh, it changed organically, but that was not gradual. It was like very fast. <laughs> I think so. That's like, that's the answer. I think the, the general understanding was um, we need to hire lots of people. Like that was sort of the, just the tone inside the company okay. at the time anyway. It was just like, build a team. Got to hire more people. How, how did that work out? And it, There's people here. Yeah, it worked out okay. <laughs> Uh, do you feel like you can hire people too fast and maybe lose a sense of, of, uh, cohesiveness or direction? I think it's totally, yeah, it's definitely possible. So how did you guys handle it? Mm, you can lose cohesion a lot of different ways. Like it's not only a byproduct of hiring or hiring quickly. 
and I think there's lots of other things that are it's just very nuanced I think there's lots of pros and cons to all of those all of those things like um, so I don't see it as uh, you know fast bad or big bad small or slow good you know there's like a lot of a lot of nuance in there I think that what really this is a simplified narrative and it's certainly from my point of view um, so there's probably other details left out but I think we aligned very quickly with the engineering organization it was by far the um, most well-managed and kind of mo- most robust part of the company at the time, which by today's standards would be sort of laughable to look at, look back at that and say that was the robust organization because so much has happened since. But a lot of people working at Etsy was like their first job ever, you know, our first job out of college. Um, and in engineering, it was probably the one group inside the company where there was more than a couple of people who had like been managers before, you know, there's just, it was just a bit more mature. Um, and so it made sense to me to kind of export the export, some of the decision-making to that organization. It was like, Oh, how are they grouping their teams together? Cool. That works. Like, let's not question that at the moment, you know, it was just sort of like, let's just, uh, not that I was thinking about it this way, but it was almost like ride the coattails or like what's, where's the energy? Like here's the most people, they have the most money, the most resources. They've got the ear of the CEO. Like they're like this, the respected, like most respected, most valued, like part of the organization at the time. I was like, Hmm, we should be a part of that. And so, or sort of organizing design and the team or sort of the team members to be aligned with the groupings the similar way and then being embedded with them. So sitting with the engineering groups rather than trying to like form a, you know, a place inside the company where all the designers sit. Uh, And then also working, um, just emphasizing sharing the same like technical tools. So working in the same environments. And that's where this like probably segues in this whole other like process thing in an interesting way. You say on your website that designers should know how to build what they design. Mm -hmm. Did that imagine that influenced uh, or was influenced by that relationship with engineering uh yeah i mean it's one of those sort of that's like a a strong belief but also a strong statement you know sort of like intentionally polarizing um designers never do that yeah right um that uh not to say that this wasn't thoughtful or considered but that that was how i had been working for probably the previous three and a half or four years and so when I first got to Etsy and when we were first like working on just a variety of um, all, all product centric like design problems, that just seemed to be the most efficient way to get the work done because it was how I knew how to work. Yeah. Uh, and so it was within a matter of days that I was sort of doing things like, can I get a VM? How do I get access to subversion? Like, hmm, what, like, what somebody walk me through the directory structure of the application like is this in you know are you using like model view control that's what i'm familiar with like somebody help me out here yeah uh, like i needed to get in the application to feel like i could make changes quickly i'm really at like a personal level because at that point we were just like working on individual pr- like projects you know there wasn't we weren't thinking about the product super holistically we weren't thinking like here's how we build out a design team or organization or what should the design culture be it was like Tuesday and we needed to make progress on a project uh, and that was sort of the most um, familiar way to work and so I advocated for working that way and there's people inside the organization who were friendly to that which was awesome really just like a handful of engineers who either were like this seems awesome and great in, the, in that they like understood it 
um, understood the value of it. And I think some others who are just like, just very open in a more like generic way, like, like, uh, sure. Once you try something, we'll help you try it. Yeah. And others who more like understood it as a product development process, but both were helpful. Um, and navigating like access to those things and helping other people in the organization have, um, like trust enough that we could do things like deploy production code and like touch the application and like check things in and out. And that, that set the tone for a little bit. And I would say like the first handful of new designers who joined the team, the one of the criteria was basically like, do you work like this? That kind of like cold stop. Like, will you come in and work this way? The pool of available people who work that way is very small. So that is challenging. However, it's super focused. Like there's a ton of clarity. It's like you talk to someone and go, do you want to like, would you like to work this way? And you go, no. And I'm like, cool. Well, uh, I hope that you like enjoy your <laughs> Great job to meet you. somewhere. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so that allowed for really clear like decision-making for a while. Of course, it also builds an organization, I think, where, uh, well, it's just not as diverse. I think like over time, I've come to like value just diversity more. I think it's really helpful that there's a shared common approach in general and orientation. I think like the whole team's, um, I believe sort of still feels that and works that way very often, but it's not, um, it's not such like a cold stop, like hard, hard line. Like it was, uh, then. So designers at Etsy today don't have that same pressure to build what they design. Is that, is that accurate? Hmm. It's a large organization. The teams and projects and sort of groups that are collaborating on things really differ, differ, you know, like the skill sets and working styles, even inside those teams differ. So, What's an uh, what's an example? I think that uh, well, if you're working on a team with a where a couple of the engineers um, are maybe like full stack, you know, in air quotes, but like tend more towards front endy things, then you might like have a different orientation to how you're like building out the product there than maybe being on another team or being another designer, where you um, really either take joy in or obsess over or really like own own that part of the process in a different way. So it's I think if you were to look at, well, here'd be an interesting one. If you were to look at like, you know, GitHub commits for everyone or something like that, I think the volume of them would probably look quite diverse across the team. Does everyone know how to use Git at this point? Nice. Everyone's thumbs up work really well. Everyone's thumbs upping (laughs) for those listening. That's encouraging. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) I'm glad that nobody didn't. (laughs) One one person's lying like, uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. What about Zach, our writer? I don't know. Git? Yes, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's the one. (laughs) Let's talk about navigating ambiguity. That's an ambiguous question. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Navigate away. (laughs) Uh, What what makes you ask that? As (laughs) teams grow, it becomes uh, not so much of like a shipping problem, like you have people building. Uh, It also becomes a communication and information sharing problem. Focus. What? No, I'm saying <laughs> communicating focus is difficult. Uh, I thought he was asking you to focus. Yeah, I was like, focus, Jesus, Brian. Dude. <laughs> I'm working on it. So, so now that the team's, the team's bigger, are you, are you bumping up into some of those issues where it's not like, yeah, we have talented people to design and build, but now we're, we're struggling to communicate and share information? Uh, and how have you navigated some of those, like not really design struggles, but more organizational structures within a a design team. Mm, yeah. I mean, yes and yes and yes. I don't think you're ever free of those problems. 
at any size. Totally. Uh, yeah. And I think that the the sort of solutions, whatever those look like, or the behaviors that resolve, you know, communication across the team at one size, like very quickly break down and don't work as the team gets a little bigger. Or, and here's the part that's maybe the, really about like navigating the ambiguity or being comfortable with like change. The context or circumstances might change around you or the team in ways that are completely outside your control, but still cause those things to like break down. What do you mean? Um, let's say we've got a, a very highly functioning like team, um, not just design, but you know, product management, engineering. There's marketing there, research. Like everything is like this thing's humming along. We're like awesome. Like has shipped a few things consistently in a row. That like this is like just really like high performing. And then we have some other new priority over here. And a few, let's say a couple of engineers need to leave that team to work on something else because of the most like qualified people or they're excited about it or whatever it is. And like the ecosystem has now like changed. There's like something different about the team that was working so well and maybe it'll still work fine, but it's, it's definitely different. Like minus those two people who weren't even necessarily designers or something. The dynamic of that team is now different. Maybe they have a new manager or someone responsible for multiple teams who like prefers a different like communication cadence or has an expectation about how like information travels through teams. And it, like those things can kind of affect uh they end up affecting like day to day things I think in an interesting way. Like do you go from an environment where you have like a daily stand up with your peers to like an environment where I don't know, there's some like weekly like operational check-in meeting led by the PM that's very like that feels more like a one-way communication rather than a conversation mm -hmm. neither of those I think are I'm not attributing value to either of those formats but just they're totally different and I'm sure that they happen inside our culture in like a variety of different ways and so uh, like as a well not even just a designer but I'll call it designers because it's design details but just as like a person working inside an ecosystem it's like you have to be uh, I believe you have to be pretty um flexible in understanding this um, and like navigating those things and even like tune your own behavior to best fit the the circumstances and those circumstances might even change like day to day or team to team or project to project so you might have like one way of behaving over here to best engage with this project and like a different way of behaving over here to best engage with like this project the challenge there is that like nothing feels stable and like stability is nice and comforting it is comfortable yeah uh, I don't know. Com being comfortable with discomfort is probably something that I, I personal, I personally like. So sorry if I've inflicted that on anyone else over time. Uh, Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and <they're> like, yeah. <laughs> now we know why that happens. Well, so then I'm I'm curious as leading a design team, how do you like, how do you onboard people into this that sort of mindset and culture of of being really uncomfortable with with not knowing. Um, especially as you continue to hire, like what is that ramp up process like specifically at Etsy? Like what do you do? Hmm. It's changed over time. Something that we tried to do very consistently for a while. And I believe we're still doing for the most part is bringing people in, like attempting to have new people join the team with a sense of clarity of their like role and contribution. Um, but I'm sure like a few people in this room probably had the experience where they came in, like thinking one thing was going to happen. And then, 48 hours later by no doing of their own like um, because other things were happening in the organization it was like awesome welcome to your first day at Etsy um, 
you're amazing and we love you for all the same reasons we loved you two weeks ago, but actually we need you to work on this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know that we professed <laughs> love so early, but maybe. Uh, You've got a script at this point. No, no. Um, that sounded terrible. Gosh, if it sounded like a script, that's awful. Um, we yeah. value your contributions <laughs> <laughs> to the greater culture. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that... So we've tried to, we've tried to provide that sense of clarity as much as possible. Um, the other thing that's been evolving a lot, changing a lot over time in the sense of like getting consistently better, I think you talk with um, Diana Mounter about this some, is the experience of... Um, onboarding into the sort of communications and the tool set and some of the, like the behavioral um, um, the behavioral things that happen inside the design organization and you know that looks like installing the software and getting access to your VM and like doing your first deploy and like understanding how you know where people share designs and how they communicate like that sort of onboarding process and being introduced to those things um, while on the surface sounds only technical, which is super valuable, even if it were only technical, is also the, um, it's like the, the, it is the culture, like through tools, you know, like in, in experiencing those things, you start to sort of understand more behaviorally and like the, um, almost like the philosophies or like priorities of the, of like the product development group. Um, so you can sort of you get exposed to the tooling we've built ourselves and you get exposed to what the process looks like for pushing code out of the site. And when you see that, you see that there's a lot of trust involved. It feels empowering. Yeah, which says a lot, I think, about Etsy's like culture. Um, and so you like assemble a picture of like how, um, how the team culture is through a, a whole series of those like small interactions, I think, more so than... Uh, something that's like a document that says a like handbook. here's how the design team behaves even though we have had things like that in the in the past at more of like a yeah like a principle level or something uh, I think that you end up experiencing that stuff more and internalizing it by actually like doing things mm-hmm. and kind of like assembling the experience over time so do you guys have like overarching principles that you hand out to the team we have at points in the past I think similarly, like these things kind of, um, not that they break down, but often those are, hmm, I'm I'm asserting an opinion here. (laughs) This will sound, I don't want it to sound like fact. I think often those tools are created for a specific purpose at a specific time. Like, ah, we need to, like, let's all get a line. We need to, like, write these things down and share them. And uh, if they haven't, like it's interesting to see people like glance around and go like, hmm, no, I guess we don't have that. Um, part of that makes me think like, ah, that means we need them again. Like, let's fill in that blank. But maybe it also means they've like, you know, faded away because they weren't helpful or weren't the right principles or something. Mm-hmm. You know, if they didn't like resonate in a certain way, maybe they weren't right what we had before. Totally. Yeah. I would love to hear. Um, depending on how vulnerable you want to get with your team, like, what do you think? you and your organization are not doing well right now that you should be focusing on next year as designers, as, as a design org. Hmm. Oh, that is interesting. Um, you can preface it by something you're doing really well. <laughs> Everyone's awesome. Are we going to do the shit sandwich? <laughs> shit sandwich. Here it comes y'all. Uh, no, why, why would we do the sandwich? If we can just <laughs> jump right to us. Right to uh, the, the meaty part, huh? I think that, 
Um, I mean, this probably won't come as a surprise to anyone, but I think that we've been working for some time to incorporate more more sources of data, more um, opportunities for insights into the, not just the design process, but the whole product development process, or even the business strategy, like overall at the organization. Uh, Does that mean more research? Yeah, yeah, to get uh, more specific about it. it. I think we've, we have built a reputation and tooling and tools and organizational muscle around like data, um, um, quantifiable performance of like product decisions and you know multivariate testing and um, running like well-structured experiments and things like that, which is super awesome. So everything I'm about to say next is not in disagreement with it. I don't say these things as polar, um, but that creates a very um, it creates a sense of confidence because it is so clear or seems so clear. There's numbers and there's graphs and it. I don't know. It sounds right. <laughs> um, if you drink the Kool-Aid like long enough, it tastes like really, really good. Um, <laughs> but then you're going to be the kid walking around with that like red mustache. Great. Your face. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think that it is like, that is totally awesome. It's just also incomplete. Like it doesn't tell you how people feel uh, when they do those things. It doesn't tell you what they don't do. It doesn't tell you the things they do when they're not interacting with your product, but thinking about your product while they use somebody else's product. There's just a whole bunch of stuff that that doesn't help you understand. And I think that we have gotten much, much better in part because, you know, um, we've built a research organization that didn't exist before um, and embedded parts of that team in the product development teams. It's like super awesome. But I think that uh, I just think we have like a long way to go uh, in getting the most sort of value out of that. You know, I think we've we've built it up, and we're like, cool. Everybody knows that now. Like, uh, research is this other like input into the process, and we should use it, and we're all doing it. But I think we're probably doing it at a pretty like basic level so far. Okay. Don't don't take that too critically. I just think like we can really level that up. Like, I think that we can get much more, um, um, much more effective at understanding and using those methodologies much more effective at being like good collaborators with the research organization. Like maybe I don't mean just pure like efficiency from a time standpoint, but um, best working with those insights, knowing when to, you know, stop validating things, knowing when to like put the energy into maybe things that are higher, higher impact. I'm trying to avoid the buzzwords. I was about to say higher leverage, um, hiring leverage. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think to move, you know, Again, this isn't about, it's not about not doing something we've been doing. It's about adding to what we've, what we've been doing. Um, more opportunities to gain insights that tell us what we should be doing. Not only how have we done at what we are doing. So rather than sort of like validating the choice um, by like creating some designs and then finding out that the user finds it confusing or not, which is super helpful and we should keep doing that, um, way earlier in that process just like understanding the users at all to inform what we should be building um and that's where i think this comes back to like it gets much closer to like business strategy in a way like of the organization overall like what what should be on that roadmap is a different question that can also be answered with like design and research than um 
how should we build the thing that's on the roadmap or is the thing that's on the roadmap understood or is it you know is it performing well or have we tuned all the opportunity like out of those you know call to actions and things like that uh, and so in a way if this is like a i don't know if it's a funnel or a timeline or something this is i think there's this other chunk of stuff that we've only like scratched the surface of um that we need to be doing a lot more of uh, Bryn is much more data driven i like to work by validating things brian is a taster <laughs> i don't get it but that's not totally true, but let's let's talk about data. I think there's a risky thing when you say da- like data is not only quantifiable data. Like qualitative data is also data. Sure, yeah. but there is sort of a, a push and pull, I think, in design about data-driven decisions, quantifiable or, or otherwise, versus I think taste is maybe too strong of a word, but like a no, designer's I mean, intuition and, yeah, and intuitive, gut, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you guys manage that like push and pull? I think sometimes data is very misleading and sometimes it's very helpful, right? Yeah. How do we manage that push and pull? Hmm. I don't, gosh. I mean, it just feels so individual. uh, Solve the problems for us, man. If you answer this question right now, we don't need any more. I think everybody in this room would probably be like, well, maybe not everybody, but many of you have heard me say this like so many times and, and it's a completely unsatisfying answer, which is it depends. Like that's the, like, I'm like, I'm about to give you an answer that will be very unsatisfying. It depends. Uh, and I think that's the, it, every project, uh, or like problem we're dealing with. I think you'd navigate that differently. I'd even say with different designers, you'd navigate it differently. Like it's very circumstantial. So there's, I, that's not helpful at all. I know there's like no, pl- no playbook. I don't think. Do you approach it differently knowing that the design decisions you make influence your users' livelihoods? Is that a good pressure or bad pressure? I'm thinking about if you ship something that's maybe great for, for you guys aesthetically or for the business, but maybe it tanks conversion rates on seller's pages or something. I don't know. There's also things... Yeah, we just, I don't think we would ship that one, but I think... There's that, things that work yeah. really well in the short term and have quantifiable data behind them and then... yeah decrease later yeah long-term trust i mean that's very that's that's hard um there's an important sort of like defining i don't know cluster of memes or something i'm not sure how to describe this there's like a a whole chunk of thinking inside the organization a meme handbook of sorts no more like a meme bundle i don't know if memes are cables there's like a bundle of them and it's like strewn all about uh we've been slowly adding to the bundle of cables over time we are community centric, I think a- accurately so. Even if we're not like thinking or an individual isn't thinking about that that way at a time, like our business certainly is. Um, and that we have had moments in the past of probably like not doing that well by our community. You know, they're just probably like, even in simple ways, like when the, you know, six, seven years ago when the site used to go down all the time. And that's not a, not like we were intentionally being bad. It's just like, that really is shitty for them, you know? I think there's a bunch of learned experience inside the organization or like memes, you know, the sort of like carried on, passed along knowledge that probably gets like duller and less precise, but is still there that says like, we can't screw our users. Like, don't, you know, um, good rule you got to look out for the sellers. Um, Very good rule. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that has its pros and cons, I think. But I think it's like very, very present that we, um, it feels to me like it is. Often we, well, if I rewind back in time, there was a moment where like the primary channel for like project management of primary tool was this wiki. 
open to the entire company, which is insane. So you would have like a, you know, a fairly sound sort of like project plan coming together. You might even like post some screens and then like the entire organization could like come in and like comment on it. And um, that is scary and insane. And I would not like recommend organizing things that way. But what is interesting is like a very common theme in a lot of those things was like, sellers won't like this. We've heard things in the forums that people don't like this. Customer support gets inquiries about this. All those feel like downers, you know, for sure. Like don't, 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 don't. But there's, uh, I think there is something to that. It's obvious that there's like all this energy there and being like sensitive towards the, the community and the sellers. And you'll hear things like, yeah, their livelihood or their, you know, they're making money off this, like, um, used as a, um, well, used on both sides of an argument, like <laughs> yeah, depending on, yeah, who. yeah. I think that the risk of it is that it becomes, we all believe that's generally true. Like, yeah, we should definitely like support the sellers in the community, but then you can like, that becomes a very blunt instrument for like yeah. trying to communicate around stuff. Like, um, then like, how do you prioritize and what's good for them in the short term or in the long term? Or like, is the overall health of the ecosystem, uh, good for the community writ large, even if there's like winners and losers in this particular like product change or something. Um, and the reality is they're like always they're they're like, it depends. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It's the hardest answer, but we should start a new podcast together. Just called it depends. And, um, you heard it'll it. Be very inconclusive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You've committed at this point. <laughs> we'll just leave these mics here. That's not even remotely true. We're going <laughs> to, we're, we're keeping our mics. I derailed it by asking about a game show, but Brian tried asking you about how you first got into design. So I'd like to go to that for a, a little bit and then open it up to questions. Um, okay, I'll, I'll make this quick. I, I think, uh, or I will try to make this quick. I feel like I've heard this same story told by like dozens of other designers, so it doesn't feel particularly unique to me. It and shows patterns, man. It's data-driven. That's right. This um, is the process to become a designer. There you go. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I really became a designer through, like, music stuff when I was in high school. What does music stuff mean? Uh, well, I was, like, playing in bands. And in doing so, we would design stuff because that's what you did, right? You'd, like, like, album the, covers and posters You got it. And yeah, and you'd... Yep, exactly. You'd design the cover of a CD, and then you'd do the stuff for your friend's band, and you'd make some more T-shirts, and, like, you know, you'd sell only 10 of them, even though you'd made, like, 50 of them, and then, you know. Um, it's strangely also quite, like, entrepreneurial. It's funny to think about in this context. There's, like, the design part, and there's sort of, like, this branding component. It's super sort of, like, cultural in a way, too. It's, like, this very, like, creative endeavor that you're putting this other stuff it's around. community-driven. Yeah. Um, business goals. It ends up being, like, yeah, pretty hard lessons, like, in the economics of, like, small business. Because, like, music is not really where you, like... Yeah, not even work. small yeah. business, but <laughs> yeah. music in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, I ran this, like, very business. small and not at all successful label for a few years uh, when I was, like, super young. So that was an interesting um, experience. And there's, there's this, like, entrepreneurial component, too, that uh, where, like, design, business, entrepreneurism, like, creativity are all sort of, like, closely coupled there. But it was really through that, um, doing those things, that I realized, like, design was a discipline or something, you know? Because at first it was really like mimicry. You're like, oh, that stuff looks cool. Let me try to make that. And I've got this like, you know, pirated version of Photoshop I got from wherever. And you'd like try That's to That's the other stuff. common thread. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Music stuff, Photoshop. Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that was really like the, the seed. And then once I realized, once I stopped looking beyond like what was on the CD covers, 
and by beyond i mean like looking at the design aisle at barnes and noble or something right like it was it wasn't even super sophisticated at that point you're like ah this is really a thing like there's a whole profession here and there's all this interesting stuff and there's a history um and somewhere around that point i just got uh i started getting my kicks more from design than from music and then that became like very clear like i would just i would stop coming home and being excited about playing my guitar and would so dorky i would like, be like excited a, about playing with my computer basically i, I remember <laughs> having that same situation it's kind of depressing it's like a weird thing and you, i don't know i had a hard time like convincing myself that it was a good thing to do to to go to design from music oh yeah was that a thing you had you? the same experience yeah i worked yeah. in recording studios that's how i got this stuff oh, there you go. <laughs> well, it's all comes back around yeah, yeah. designing myspace cover images and stuff oh, yeah totally it's the worst oh man and yeah i it's funny how that stuff's the an unclosed div tag still bites us today, just like it did on MySpace. You're like, oh, why did that happen to my MySpace page? <laughs> that unclosed tag is just as problematic in 2015. Uh, Technology. Yeah. So, can you go through like a work history real quick, like for what, our listeners? What did you do mostly. before Etsy? Yeah, forwards or backwards? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, do this choice. Okay, I'll try. You to can really bounce fast. back and forth. Most recent to least recent. And confuse <laughs> oh, everyone. That that's interesting. Um, although that's funny. That's probably like how it plays out in your mind in a way. You know, you're like referencing this thing from when you were like 17 and then all of a sudden yesterday. And, um, I did telephone tech support at a dial-up ISP. That was my first job. I did telephone tech support too. Oh my God. Are you <laughs> guys the same oh, person? Yeah, that's good. Um, Bryn, just start. Where start people, would, people should, would pay I their I my beard like yesterday. I know, right? dude. Oh, man. <laughs> People and would pay their bill with a check, with paper checks. They'd come in and pay their internet bill, which is kind of incredible. Different and people times, would sit, man. So they needed to reset their password. They'd write it down on a piece of paper, and no joke, we'd go like into the next room, and there's this Unix box on the floor, and the employees would lean down, <laughs> lean down on the floor, like on our knees, and type in their new password that they'd just written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> Simpler so times. It was Simpler <laughs> times. Um, so that was my first... Um, that was my first job. And then simultaneously, um, uh, somewhere around there, m- my mom hooked me up with this job to do like monthly bookkeeping for this uh, retirement community. I didn't know that. Thank uh, God. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, and so I would, uh, I would basically like balance their, balance their books like every month. And then I would go to this board meeting of these like retired people and like update them on the numbers. Uh, every month a board meeting of retired yeah, people it was kind of amazing um, it was also <laughs> just really interesting to lots hear of them, energy lots hear of them energy. all complain about like whether they were gonna you know refurbish the sign or like plant new flowers and uh, it was kind of amazing uh, and that prepared my like endurance for situations like that um, and then when I went to um, college um, in my freshman year of college I was aware of these couple of like sort of boutique design firms um, in town uh, this is in Orlando and just I'd seen them on the internet and I thought they did like really cool work mm-hmm. mostly because they were doing work for like bands yeah they had like music stuff in their portfolio and I was like oh these are the only places doing any good design you know uh, and one day I went and just like knocked on the door of one of them and I was like I think you do like really awesome work I was like a freshman in college I was like can I have a job here I had like zero portfolio or anything uh, but I hit it off with the owner and we kind of like became fast friends and I worked there for the rest of the time I was an undergrad so like most of my like graphic design education was really like in that studio um, that's where I learned like all the like like really the like principles of typography and stuff probably more than anything he was like 
an intense like the art director there was just like very intense and like well considered typography stuff. So that was that job. And then wait, uh, can I inter- interject? Uh, we were having a chat last night. Uh, someone with n- not a big portfolio is looking to get into design, yeah. and just wants that first job. Uh, it sounds like you were in a similar situation. Yeah. Like, what what was the thought process to actually just walking up to a place and knocking on the door versus like, oh, I need to have a portfolio and case studies and like oh, do man. mock-ups and email and like send a cover letter on and on and on. Well, I'll say two things. One, maybe the circumstances are different now. Like, I think it was very contextual in some way. Like, it was, like, right after the dot-com, like, bust, this guy had laid off most of the people in his studio. Like, he had this big open space, and, you know, I think, like, company and cheap labor were probably, like, part of the equation, too, even though we hit it off. I realize this more in hindsight, you know? He was um, lonely. <laughs> so I think there was some, like, there was some, like, cir- like some contextual circumstances there. The, uh, the thought process, honestly, again, this might not be a satisfying answer. I just do stuff like that. So I don't know. I feel very low anxiety about things like not working out like that. So I just try risk averse. Yeah. Like when I was running the design studio, which was kind of the job after that, I would just like, as soon as I felt like the cash flow was like good enough to be like stable for a couple months, the next job that would come in, I would just like bid it like super high and just see what happened. I was like, not, I was like, man, let's just, let's just try million bucks, three (laughs) X the rates and just see what they say. And most of the time they would say no. And then every once in a while they'd say yes. Then you'd be like, awesome. This is how you grow business. Yeah. Um, so after that I ran, I left that studio and, um, started my studio air quotes. Um, as we all do. Yeah. In the, um, in a house that I shared with another guy where we had no living room furniture, but like a screen printing setup. <laughs> yeah. That's um, amazing. It was, it was, it was a fun time. Um, and so we had like a couple of desks lined up against the back wall and some computers. And, uh, I, I went around basically to all those other cool design shops that were like, not the one I just left and was like, do you have any work? Do you have any work? Do you, cause I basically just like quit my job and didn't have much money. And I was like, I got to pay rent next month. Really thinking uh, ahead there. So Randy. I like collected. Yeah. Well, uh, sometimes you just do things. Yeah. Uh, so I collected a bunch of like small work and it was within probably six weeks or so. I had like more work than I could handle. So then I hired this other guy I knew from school and he was just like freelancing for me. And then I built that up for a little while. And then, uh, I came to New York to go to grad school and had been, um, it was kind of like on my, horizon this whole time so it's a little bit insane to like start this business and be thinking like i'm gonna go to grad school ended up working out well because i kept some of the clients i developed so like the whole time i was in grad school here in new york i kept working with a the biggest client was really like this division of clear channel entertainment i would do like all this crazy identity stuff with them and so i went through grad school and in the grad and like when i was in grad school i worked at milton glazier inc for like six or nine months and I worked at number 17 for similarly like probably six or nine months both here in the city um, and then when I graduated I was going back to working on the studio I was like I'm just going to do the studio full time I moved in to a shared studio space with one of my clients and they were this e-commerce business and then like very quickly um, we basically went into business together building this other like e-commerce marketplace uh, that was called supermarket. So I went from running the design studio to building that software product and this like e-commerce site supermarket with the client I'd had. Um, and then I came to Etsy. Perfect. Sweet. We've got like uh, 10 minutes ish for people to ask questions the microphone. Uh, at the microphone. If you all don't mind. 
this is super awkward because you could we could just like chat in the hallway. <laughs> it's so strange. Like ask, gonna be this ask hard questions. What do you want to know? You've got in one front man. of I don't know fifteen thousand listeners. Our very own broccolini. Well, was the there mic. really fifteen thousand? Now I feel completely different about everything I just said. <laughs> Can we start over? <laughs> um, well, actually, I, I want to ask you a question that I think it would be good for lots of people to hear. Um, it's a question I got asked um, a lot at a conference I was at last week. Um, a lot of people um, are in com- when a team gets to a certain size, they they want to like build a better style guide um, because it's something that helps them speed up their workflows and it's often the people actually doing the work that um, realize this is needed and a lot of people ask me how did you get um, you know your creative director or your the boss or the CEO or whatever um, to like give you the thumbs up for this thing and I couldn't really answer that because I'm not that person ah that's interesting so I think it'd be good for people to hear how you felt about the style guide that we recently made here. Mm. It's like well, prioritization think, uh, of work versus... Yeah. That is a very interesting question. Uh, I think... I think the origins of the answer are like far earlier in time than like the current style guide. So I think... Um, uh, I mean, the narratives always get like rewritten subtly on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've heard the narrative that like our style guide that we have now is like the first one we've ever had, which is totally not true. I think we've had like four or five variations of this thing in the last like five or six years, but that's fine too. It's also the first one as good as it is built the way it is that we use this way it is. So in some sense, it's like the first version, you know? Um, but I think the, uh, like how did we get to the place where that one was like supported or acceptable? Um, in one sense, it's just an iteration on something that existed before. So it, it looks like core. It looks like some core thing that we're going to like improve the thing we had previously. Whether that was actually the motivation or not, when you think about like the outside support or the optics of working on that thing, it doesn't look like some new work. It looks like maintaining this thing that existed. Now, maintaining actually meant completely like rewriting it from scratch like the people you know working on it were creating something like wholly new and maybe like bringing in some learnings from some other stuff to it but from the outside for other people who look at it it's just like the style guide like that word had been in the air for a long time people knew it was a thing that sort of existed and some engineers would work with it and stuff so i think in that particular case um the like support to do it it was almost like they're they're um when i think about my position and like needing to defend or explain like putting time or energy into that work didn't really have to so maybe that's like a luxurious position to be in but it was just sort of like we're doing this it was something that needed to be done yeah I think to uh, like to sort of find the time within the team to do it or prioritize it so I think about like my position now like in a different way not uh, sort of orienting that work to other people outside design, but rather thinking about its prioritization inside design. Uh, I just believe that stuff was super important. So when the team who's working on like that version of it uh, said they wanted to do it and had a plan for how it was going to work and it was going to be a bit divergent from this other thing for a while because we we're going to do it in this one part of the product experience then try to extend it elsewhere, that looked to me like the most active it was like the most active and actionable plan to make progress on the idea of a style guide, like inside the group. So I was like, cool. Like, let's just do it. Give me like, a clear plan for it. It seems like the easiest way to do it. Cause sometimes yeah. it could be very nebulous. Yeah. I mean, the, in the earliest versions of this, when we did it, um, 
in the early days, we just like started making it. It wasn't like, yep. please everyone, can we have like permission to make this thing? Mm-hmm. We were like changing those color values everywhere really blows. <laughs> like, let's try to like, let's try to centralize that. You know, it was like really basic object oriented front end stuff is really where it started. And you're like, hmm, it seems crazy that we've got that same snippet of code on like 37 views. Can we modularize that? And then like, let's tell people that module exists. It started in really basic, like problem solving ways. And then it sort of had a name, which was like the whatever style guide or what I don't even remember what we called it back then. It went through some terrible permutation, which like had so much effort behind it. Um, I'm sharing this story so that no one ever does this. We were always dealing with like, does this, does the style guide pull from production code or not? Like how in sync is it with production, which has like these advantages and disadvantages, right? When it's super in sync, it means like you're using all the real styles, but then like how do you iterate on them or change them if it's like directly coupled with the live thing? We've gotten past that moment, which is great. Um, and someone with the most like clever engineering solutions and so many nights and weekends, I'm sure, bless his heart, built our style guide into our wiki software so that like you would browse like you would sort of the whole thing was organized and communicated inside the wiki but it was like pulling production code from etsy into these like views that were rendering inside these wiki pages from this other piece of software it was like oh my god i was so surprised it worked and then we probably really used it for like three months you know, and it was probably like six months of effort or something. I mean, I don't know exactly. I might be exaggerating, but like that, that it was trying to solve the problem of where you have the, you have like what the, what the patterns are. So whether it's like UI or like interaction patterns, you have like what, what the content is, how you describe the content. So the meta content around it, how do you use these? What's the information you need to know about them? And then the tooling by which you like present and organize and update that stuff. And like, those are all like three different components in in like a style guide and they often get conflated but i always think like you could you could sort of evolve the system for organizing the patterns while keeping all the patterns the same like i, th- I really think that like those three things are important to keep discrete um uh, conceptually uh otherwise you're just like always doing a massive rewrite of like all of those things and what's the dangerous thing uh and I'm on a rant now. The dangerous thing is that you spend too much time or energy on the um, the system that makes the styles possible, rather than the styles themselves, right? Rather than the like components and the things that like end up touching the end customer, like affect the end like experience. You need that infrastructure, I think, to be able to get there. But like, it, it's a pretty fun design problem. It's like super meta, and it, it's like, so yeah, much it's fun. The, it's a thing that controls all the other things. Like, you could really obsess over like that probably to the point that you like over over invest the other risky thing about style guides this is great (laughs) i love them so they're so important but um as soon as you have like a defined truth it makes it a ton easier to like build things quickly and keep them like unified and consistent um but also i just think our nature as designers you want like order and consistency is a good usability principle and all the stuff uh that um it i think it becomes hard to also push or evolve that thing or push Mm -hmm. beyond it and when you do, then it either looks like you're breaking the rules. This is the, like, nav- comes right back to navigating ambiguity. It's like, okay, we've got like a system that describes all of the things or appears to describe all the things and how they should be used and what their components are. And then new technology lands at our doorstep or the world moves around us 
and some other amazing behaviors happen and customer expectations start to change because they've experienced a bunch of other things that your world like doesn't represent. So like it has to be like this living, living, breathing thing. Yeah. I find there's a lot of temptation too to, if you want to update it, to update it all at once and then that never happens. But if you do it iteratively over time, you end up with like a Frankenstein kind of style guide where you have like inconsistencies. I think the North star is that like everything is consistent, but I think the reality is like we live in a no. Frankenstein world. Yeah. Like we just do. And for very reasonable reasons, like if you're in most streets in New York city, the signs are like green with white letters. Like they are just about anywhere in America. But then you go like downtown you're like historic wall street or something. And they're like black with white letters and a little picture of an old building. On you're, the like, why? Why? And you're like, why? Like that is somehow like broken the, you know, it's broken the system, but it's all okay. Like it works out. Okay. We can read the street signs. We navigate around like, and in fact, it might be a little depressing. They refuse if, like, to use them if they don't follow the style guide. Yeah. It's not okay. <laughs> it's like if like every one of the signs everywhere were exactly the same. That probably is the best like usability experience. But I kind of like that. I kind of like that weird that they have a weird photograph of some old building on the street sign downtown. Like it's so strange, but it's like charming. Yeah. How do you feel about license plates? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have time for one more question. Anyone? Aaron Moody. Like that people are getting like announced to podcast listeners. That's Aaron Moody, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Aaron Moody. Um, what keeps you up at night? Not in the context of like negative specifically, but like what are the ideas or the thoughts that you know you go to sleep thinking about? What um, either exciting or like troublesome? Oh, that is. Um, hmm. That is a very interesting question. Uh, I th- like something that really like, yeah, that trub- troubles me. I think it relates to our, our work. We really like things to be um, fast. I think there's like the culture of like speed really kind of worries me because I think it creates a... Um, it just doesn't feel particularly kind to me. There's something about like speed that feels sort of so aggressive. And I kind of like, I wish that we could be a little more patient like with ourselves or with our teams or with like the product we're trying to develop or with our expectations about how commerce should work. <laughs> like, uh, it feels like so, um, that kind of makes me sad that stuff has to be like so fast. And it's like there's all these outside factors, and I think we like internalize it and end up like doing it ourselves, even if we don't intend to. And I totally do this myself, right? uh, so that's not <laughs> that's not like a uh, I'm not finger pointing. But I think like that really Aaron, you specifically, me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I kind of like I don't know. I wish the product development process. I wish like what. I love the internet so much, you know, like it's so awesome, but I kind of wish the internet could like take a deep breath. You know, I wish that I go the way I engage with it could be like, <sighs> Hey internet, you know? just, just chill for a minute. Yeah. Like, and it feels like bah, 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 like that. I don't know. That doesn't feel sustainable to me for some really, like, I don't know. That keeps me, I don't know. I'm, I don't, that's like, uh, so everyone just chill out this answer. week, next week. Yeah. Take your time. Take your time, you know time is, there's just, there's just give you permission. Too many podcasts to we listen have it to. Documented. Too many episodes. No. That's <laughs> not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> too many podcasts to make. How many are you? You're, you're recording three today. Yeah. 
Yeah, take a deep breath, man. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. So uh, thanks for having um, us and yeah. taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks, for having me. Thanks yeah, everyone for awesome. listening. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Episode 83, In the Can. Huge thank you once again to Etsy for hosting that episode and for organizing our trip out there. Super, super fun. We're going to be doing more live episodes soon. Next one in San Francisco. For more info, just stick around on our Slack team. That's at spec.fm slash Slack or follow us on Twitter at specfm. Before we go, huge thank you once again to the two sponsors that made this episode possible. First up, as always, Dropbox. Dropbox is the simplest way to let you work the way you want with whoever you want, however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. It just helps you do what you want to do. So it'll let you work on any file with any device from wherever you are and with anyone you choose. So you can just start building cool things. You can go check it out and get started at dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox. And of course, thank you to Wayno.co, one of the best agencies in the world doing world-class design for companies like Medium, Airbnb, Google, Reuters, and Dropbox. They're one of our favorite agencies and they're sponsoring this show because they enjoy it and they want you to know that they exist. So go check out their work at ueno.co, U-E-N-O.co. And if you need a job, they have offices in San Francisco and New York and they are hiring. So check out the careers link at the top of the page and tell them that we sent you. Huge thanks once again to Wayno. We'll see you next week.